feel like I need to gather myself just a minute here. We had our, our uh, annual meeting right before the service, and then we came up, uh, some music was missing, and, and the screen wasn't working. I actually ran across when you guys were singing, and got, I'm sweaty. Uh, if I, I, I might just lay down here. I don't, I don't know. <sighs> All right. I'm good now. Okay. So um, a, a question that I'm going to ask and continue to come back to is, who did you run into over the last week? Like, who did you just bump into? And I don't mean uh, like your, your friends or family uh, or people that you talk to regularly, but just the people that you just kind of saw, uh, or maybe you didn't even acknowledge, you were around them. Maybe a a, a, wait, a waitress, waiter, cashier, barista, um, maybe someone at the basketball game, um, or just someone sitting at the at the table at the restaurant uh, next to you. Um, who did you bump into? How many people do you think you came into contact with over this last week? Uh, for some, it might be five or ten. For others, it might be. Um, a couple hundred. I, I don't know. Uh, but I want you to think about that as we go through. Uh, there's a, a book by Melinda Blau that suggests that these everyday people, these small encounters, can actually have a big effect on our health and our happiness and even our success in life. The book is titled Consequential Strangers, The Power of People Who Don't Seem to Matter But Really Do. And the author documents all the ways that strangers and acquaintances can affect our lives how a friendly greeting can change the outlook of our day, uh, how a simple service someone offers can improve the quality of our lives, how a casual conversation can lead to a new job or new romance, how someone from another ethnicity or social class can expand your horizons, and even how a fender bender can prompt a next spiritual step or a next step on a spiritual journey. Now, we're going to go into a story in just a couple minutes in Mark chapter 3. Uh, we started out, we're going through the book of Mark uh, up through Easter, and uh, we, we can't get every part of uh, of the book, uh, there's just, there's too much, um, but we're trying to hit at least a chapter, um, or, or something in each chapter. So if you do want to read along in the book of, of Mark, um, today Mark chapter 3, but maybe just sit down and read the whole book, or in, in a couple sittings, or, or one sitting, um, just to kind of see, you know, what, like the big theme of it. Um, and so there's a person, though, in today's story that we're going to get to who I think fell into the category of uh, consequential stranger, you know, someone who probably didn't seem to matter that much uh, to a lot of people, but did to Jesus. Uh, can you think of some people that you bump into most weeks but don't really acknowledge? You know, maybe it's a, a coworker that you've never talked to or sometimes uh you, you know, maybe you see someone at, at work. Uh, I remember when I worked at Caterpillar, this was the case. And, and sometimes at church, you see them every single week, but now it's too late to ask uh, or to introduce yourselves. You know, you've seen them for a year, and, and maybe you even introduced yourselves two years ago, but you forgot you forgot their name, and now it'd just be awkward. You know, and so you just kind of leave it alone, and, and for the sake of uh, uh, not being, um, you know, comfortable or for the sake of, of avoiding that discomfort, we just kind of ignore them. Um, maybe it's just someone who's sitting in a corner at the restaurant that you eat at every day. You never talk to them. Well, uh, the, these people, um, wh- whoever, whoever the, your consequential stranger is, they may not have a deformity like the man we're about to come across in the story, but, but give those people some thought as, as we read through this. Hope for this to be a practical way to follow Jesus and to do good. And so Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, it says this, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, 
So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save, to save life or to kill? It's a pretty easy answer, I, I think. They remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. And the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. All right, that's all the, all the scripture. We're going to come back to a little bit, uh, but that's the whole story today. Uh, the Sabbath was, was a big deal. The Sabbath was, was what the Jewish people observed. They did not work. Uh, they rested, and, and in a sense, they worshiped. A Jewish person would have observed the Sabbath. That was just part of it. Uh, people knew you were Jewish if you observed the Sabbath. They might know if they see you uh, praying or fasting, but you know the fasting was, um, uh, well, I, actually, I wouldn't say it was done in secret. Jesus told them later to do that, but it was one of those things that they probably did it around other Christians. You know, even for us, we, we pray. You probably pray uh, at your house. Um, you probably pray at church. There's a fair chance, maybe you pray at work, but there's a fair chance that the people who aren't Christians uh, aren't just seeing you pray. Um, they're not knowing that you're fasting. But at this time, if you observe the Sabbath, people knew you were Jewish. It would be like today, um, you might ask someone, are you a Christian? And what, what's the answer? Sometimes we get, well, actually, I don't go to church. No, I didn't ask if you went to church, I asked if you were a Christian. You know, that would have been the same thing. It's just, it's just one and the same. The Jewish people observe the Sabbath. Christians go to church. Now, maybe there's other things too, but I think pretty, pretty commonly, at least uh, with the lost, with non-Christians, uh, those people probably assume that if you go to church, you're a Christian. If you don't, then you're not. Um, but uh, the question that, that I wonder um, at this time, is, is that what Jesus had in mind? Now, it appears that Jesus is joining in. He's there too. He's at the synagogue uh, on the Sabbath. So he's observing the Sabbath as well. And there's the man with the shriveled hand there. And if he was there that day, then he probably was, he was probably there the last week and the week before. He was probably there every week. I think it might have been similar to us. It was a, a small, probably like a small congregation or a small gathering, a small community. And so it's kind of one and the same. You kind of know, um, you know, they're, they're at church and, and I see them every week and they sit in that spot. You know, and I know if someone, um, like, I don't know, it's just pretty, pretty easy. Like, I can look and say, well, um, you know, they're not, they're not here today. Um, the Hagen balls uh, aren't sitting there. Wait, are they over there? Like, no chance. You know, you're you're either in your chair or or you're not. You know, or you're not here. Uh, I I think maybe that would have been the case. I can't say for sure it wasn't there, but I just assume people have always been the same way. You know, that's just what it is. Now. Um, and so this man here, people would have seen him week after week. We don't know if the man was born with this disability or if it was from an accident. Um, I've tried to figure that out. There, it was possibly a nerve issue. He was probably born with it, but we can't say that for, you know, for certain. But it would have been right there for everyone else to see him every week. Week in, week out, there's the man with the shriveled hand. That's just how it is. Now, Jesus' critics were there as well, and they were looking for, for, uh, to find a, um, a mistake. They were looking for Jesus to mess up, and, and um, so they wanted him to break the Sabbath by working, and they knew he heals people. There's a man that needs healed, so hey, let's see if he does it today. Well, the law allowed for certain exceptions of healing if it was an emergency. 
if this has to happen right now, it's okay for it to happen. This was most likely not the case. The man didn't just walk in and, oh, well, what happened to your hand? It wasn't like that where it just happened all of a sudden. And so if he would have healed, his, uh, healed him the next day, no big deal. So why did Jesus then heal the man on the Sabbath? Uh, there's just there's so much here. It's a lot bigger. Um, instead, uh, right there in front of everyone, Jesus asked the man to stand up. Jesus wanted people to see this man. Now, now really think about the the context. He probably they probably had seen him every week, and all of a sudden he he pulls it to embarrass them. He, he, look at him. Give this man your attention. Jesus wanted him to look a little bit deeper. Look, look at the man. They'd probably seen him a hundred times. Maybe he knew that they had start, they, they started to, to uh, have calloused hearts uh, when they see the man and, and um, his, his problem, uh, even, even if he lived with it his whole life. I don't know. Um, maybe they said to the kids, hey, don't stare at that guy, you know, because he's got a deformity. And, and, then it, and then all of a sudden, it's like as an adult, wait, am I staring? Okay, I'm not going to look at him. Now, now I'm just going to completely not, not look in that direction. And now all of a sudden, no one's looking to looking to him or talking. I'm just assuming he might have had some close friends. I don't know, but I'm just trying to assume based off what I read, and then how we react to people, our social norms, uh, how we react to people that that maybe um, have uh, have some kind of issue. And, and so I just think maybe maybe this man was one of those consequential strangers, a person that that he's around everyone, but no one sees him. And so Jesus says, "Get up in front of everyone." Guys, look at him. Look a little bit deeper. Or maybe it's not just there. Maybe he actually makes people feel uncomfortable because of his deformity. I, I don't know. Remember last week we, we talked about uh, that uh, they used to believe that if you had a deformity, it was because of your sin or because of your parents. Uh, Jesus corrected that thinking, but that's, that's how they thought. So maybe they think, well, you know, this man's here because of his sin, and then it becomes a distraction in worship. Uh, I don't know what was going through their minds, but Jesus called him up for a certain reason. Now, he was able to enter the synagogue, um, and last week we talked about the temple, and this is a little bit different. Sometimes the word's used in the same, um, but sometimes it's actually different. A temple, um, the temple, if you were unclean, uh, you were not allowed to go in, but a synagogue anyone could go to. A synagogue was a, a gathering place, mostly for the Jewish community, but a little less I guess they probably looked at it as being less holy as, as the temple. Uh, that, that word, again, is used a lot. So this man was there. I don't know if he was allowed to enter the temple, but he was able to be around people. So it wasn't like he, he was a leper where he was just, you know, cast out. Uh, he was welcome to be just where you are. He could be sitting in our church right now. Uh, well, someone with leprosy could too, but you know what I mean. Uh, like, he could just be a, a, among the people um, and, and be around 500 people a week. Who knows? But... What or who did Jesus see? We know what the people saw because Jesus pointed it out. Uh, we, knew, we, knew, we know about the deformity because that's the only thing that really identifies him here in this text is that he's a man and that he has a deformity, uh, has a shriveled hand. How does Jesus see him? First, he sees that there's a problem. He acknowledged that. The shriveled hand, it, it probably uh, made it harder for him to work. Um, most people work with their hands. And so that would have limited his, his options possibly or what he could do or um, maybe housework. I don't think they had dishwashers back then. So unless he just made his wife do all the dishes. Uh, anyway, um, 
maybe playing with the kids, carrying, you know, they have a baby. He wants to carry the baby. Maybe maybe it limits it. I don't know for sure, but I would assume that. And, and Jesus kind of points out that there's a problem here. Instead of looking the other way, though, he says, guys, look, look a little closer. Jesus also saw his potential. He saw what he could be. In Matthew's account, there's a different gospel uh, that tell, uh, Matthew tells the same story of Mark, but he actually includes some additional words, and he says this. If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Jesus saw what he could be, and he wanted others to do the same. Spiritually speaking, what does that look like? See, physically, he, he, it's easy. It's a visualization. Uh, this isn't about the physical healing. It's about spiritual healing. And, and physically, it's easy. Just like last week, he, he used uh, uh, physical to show spiritual. What might someone look like with Jesus in their life? What, what might be different about their life when they receive this life-changing hope, both now and eternally? And so this is probably one of those sermons that doesn't give you new information, but, uh, but, but gives us uh, a challenge. Simply looking at people the way that Jesus looks at them. That's pretty hard to do sometimes. Sometimes I want to look at certain people the way uh, that I want to look at them, and, and I think, well, they're different than me, and they have different beliefs than me, and they probably hate me anyway, so why would I really want to love them or give them attention or talk to them? Because if they knew I worked at a church or if, I, if they knew that I was a Christian, they probably, they probably would hate me anyway, so I should just probably hate them back. Right? I mean, isn't that kind of human nature? It's a, it's a defense mechanism. If I don't throw myself out there, then I'm good. Jesus wants us to see people the way that he saw them, recognizing that even the people that don't seem to matter much to us, that they matter too. There's a movie called The, the Soloist, and Robert Downey Jr., uh, most people know him as Iron Man, um, he plays a, a newspaper reporter who stumbles upon a homeless man playing a violin in, in a city park. And at first he's just amused by the stranger, and then he notices that the man is making beautiful music with a violin that just has two strings. He begins asking questions and learns that the man has a name, Nathaniel Ayers Jr. He keeps asking questions and discovers that Nathaniel has talent. He actually studied at Juilliard. Nathaniel has a story, a mother who believed in him, a father who left home, and voices in his head that he just can't silence. Most importantly, he learns that Nathaniel has dignity. Nathaniel needs friendship, not charity. See, we may not give it much thought, but all those people that we bump into that we maybe don't even look in their direction, all those people have, have a name. They all have names. They all have a story that got them to where they were. They all have value and talent and dignity. The sooner we recognize this, I think the more loving that will be the more justice, and the more justice that there will be in the world. If we give attention, um, if we give these people attention, just a, a little bit of our, of our precious time, maybe we start to see them the way that Jesus does, both with their problems as well as with their potential. Now, this isn't about uh, the poor um, or the, a lower class, if, if you wanted to do that, or the unlucky. It, it's not about the physical deformity. This man that lived with a shriveled hand, he may have been just fine. His, his entire life. He's born this way, um, and, and you know, it, to him, it's probably not a disability. It's just, just who he is, you know. Um, but what Jesus was doing here was, was showing that there could be more for this man. 
And so could we look at someone out there and, and believe that there could be more? And from, from our side, we're not, we're not the saviors. We're not going to heal someone physically. But could we look at someone and believe that their life could be better with Jesus with, than without? Even if they're, they're, they don't even know what they're looking for. Could we offer that? See, Jesus decided to do something for this man, but I think he did something more for the people who were there. He wanted to show them what it meant to be a follower of God. They, they were stuck. Jesus, um, he, he didn't have to perform a miracle on the Sabbath, but this was a teachable moment. And, and remember that question, that really rhetorical question he asked, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? I said last week, and I'll, I'll say it again, that the, the Pharisees weren't all that bad. They were the religious leaders. Uh, they wanted to honor God, and, um, and probably just like us, they, they uh, have this day, this Sabbath, and, and I think they would probably say that God likes it when we pray and, and when we study Scripture and uh, when we worship. We would all say the same. None of these things are bad when we spend time with Him, when we spend time with other believers. Jesus isn't saying that any of those things are bad. I don't want you to read this text and think, well, this means the Sabbath's bad. This means it's bad to, to designate time um, uh, for God. That's not the case. But what he's trying to show is that, that he cares more about the people than the rituals. He cares more about the people than the traditions. Just like in the story today, it's not supposed to be about the rules. It's not about, what, um, about uh, what we, how we appear or what rules we follow, but about how do we love people, uh, how do we love God. See, well, when we love who, love who God loves, which includes everyone, then we're loving him too. Jesus wanted these people to see a bigger picture. You can't, you can't look one way and appear one way and say, I follow these rules and I fast this many times and I pray this much and I go to church every Sunday. Um, but man, those people over there, I don't, I'm not going to give them a, the time of day. I'm not going to love those people. You know, that, Jesus was trying to correct their thinking. There's a, a church in New Jersey that goes by the name of Liquid Church. And they believe that the church ought to be fluid rather than solid like living water that flows freely into people's lives and satisfies their deep thirst. Well, one time, Liquid Church found themselves disturbed by the fact that tens of thousands of people, children mainly, die every day simply because they don't have enough clean drinking water. They were pretty sure God cared about that, so they decided to do something about it. And one of the things they decided to do was to cancel church on Sunday. Now, it wasn't cancel church exactly, but do church differently. Instead of holding services in the church building, they decided to hold a 5K race in town to raise money for wells in Ethiopia. They did it on a Sunday morning because they knew that that's when people from town would be most likely to participate. And they ended up with over 1,200 runners, 80% of whom were not believers, and they raised $250,000, which will end up saving about uh, 60,000 lives. They, they took the church to the people. And they did something different that was challenging, probably, that may not have been popular, per se. But do we think that, that, that God would be upset if we didn't have a service one Sunday morning, um, but were able to save 60,000 lives? I think we know the answer. Which is lawful on Sunday, to hold services or to hold a race? To be religious or to do good? See, maybe loving people doesn't look the same in Mount Pulaski as it, as it does uh, with Liquid Church. But what difference can we make as God's people for those 
inconsequential strangers, the maybe the the outcasts, the the less loved, uh, the people who don't have hope or identity. What can we do to make a difference? It it comes back to uh, to looking at people just like Jesus did. At your worst, at your very worst, how do you see yourself? I mean, think about your worst, your worst mistakes. Now, I don't want you to feel guilty. We're, we're going to get through this in a second. But think about your, your worst mistakes, uh, the, the, the things that you would say, man, if I had to make a list of my, my worst sins, here they are. How do you see yourself? How do you think Jesus sees you at your worst? In, a, in just a minute here, we're going to take communion. And this is a reminder that at your very worst, Jesus was still willing to die for you. Sometimes it's hard to to look to other people, whether I just don't know them or I make assumptions, or even if I do know things about them. Sometimes it's hard to put myself out there, to get uncomfortable. I think Jesus got pretty uncomfortable for those people who who were at their worst. It was because of his love for us. Communion is a reminder that that even us, you and me, at our worst, Jesus was willing to die for us. As we go through our daily routines, as we bump into to 10 or, or 100 or 1,000 people over the next week or month or whatever it is, would you, would you be willing to pause and, and try to recognize that person over there, known or not known, as someone who Jesus recognizes and loves just the same as he loves you and me? We don't want to be known as the churchgoers. I don't want someone to look and say, well, he goes to church, so he's a Christian. He doesn't go to church, he's not a Christian. I want them to look at us and say, and look at how he loves. Why would someone love like that? Why would someone be so willing? Not for me, because that's how we look to Jesus. Why would someone love like that? Why would someone be so willing to love those people at their worst? I don't understand it. I wouldn't do it. But God sent his son, Jesus, to do that for us because of a great love. Let's pray. Father, I don't understand why you did what you did for us. I know that you don't need us. I know that you desire, you want, and you love us. I thank you for that. Uh, None of us here, uh, we all do not deserve uh, the mercy of being forgiven. Uh, We don't deserve the gift of, of eternal life but you still gave it. And so I pray that we walk out of here not looking to others first, but looking to you first and thinking about what you've done for us. And then I pray that that would, that would flow through us, uh, that we would feel so loved, we would, still, we would feel identity in being your child, we would feel hope from you, and we would share that with others, that we could look to someone else and know they don't have the same hope. God, I pray that you would break our hearts for those people so that they could have this life-changing hope as well. I thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray.